Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Brew Church Podcast. My name is Fabian. I am your host, and today I have a guest on the show. I'm so excited. Uh, Brew Church is a faith community located in North Kansas City, committed to authenticity, inclusivity, asking the difficult questions, and embracing abundant life. And uh, this is uh, some content created by uh, people from the community, and so I'm excited to share this with you. We're going to be having a conversation. Uh, Me and uh, Joseph Howell is our guest on today. Joseph, do you want to share a little bit about yourself before? Before we dive in? Sure. Um, well, you know, thanks for, for asking me to come out. I know this is a, kind of an outgrowth of some other conversations, but it's uh, this is going to be a lot of fun, I think. Um, yeah, I, uh, um, uh, so yeah, I'm a, I'm a member of uh, Good Shepherd uh, Church. Um, we've been, we've been um, attending church here since, uh, uh, gosh, early in the pandemic, I suppose, <laughs> like, you know, it was, a, um, and so uh, uh, we struck up a, fa- a friendship, um, um early on. And, uh, so I, I came to, uh, you know, good shepherd in the midst of looking through, you know, questioning some things about, uh, faith and, um, kind of where I wanted to be, to be able to find a community that, uh, you know, made sense around kind of what I was learning about faith and my, my relationship with, um, uh, Christianity, uh, developing. So I think that's a, that's kind of how I found myself here. Uh, um, but I also, you know, you know, we, uh, um, you know, we're, we play music uh, on the worship team over at Gladstone campus. And so that's, uh, that's a lot of fun. Um, uh, but yeah, so I'm a musician, a Christian, a business owner. That's what we do. There you go. So that's my yeah. Family. Yeah. Joseph is awesome. I'm excited to have you on. So, uh, uh, this, this word might, uh, bring a lot of uh, weight to, you know, those of you who are listening to this podcast, um, and really anybody that hears this word because it's, uh, had a lot of baggage, but the conversation that that we had on Sunday surrendered around the word sin. Um, and the reason we sort of brought that up and uh, I thought it'd be an important conversation to have, we thought it might be an important conversation to have is because uh, there's a lot of ideas around that word that are not so helpful, maybe. Um, maybe that word has been used many times to uh, sort of create an in and out group or uh, maybe to create shame within people. Um, and uh, maybe we shouldn't just throw it all out because maybe there's something within the concept that's helpful for us to be able to name things because sometimes you do need clarity on things in the world. And so that's a little bit about what we talked about, uh, but I'm not going to spoil the rest of it because after our conversation uh, with Joseph and I, uh, you'll get to hear the recording from um, Sunday's uh, gathering. But uh, my first question for Joseph, and uh, you're going to do more of the talking than I am because (laughs) uh, they're going to get to hear me talk later on, so I don't need to talk a lot. Um, How has the concept of sin, uh, how have you heard that concept talked about throughout your journey um, as a person, as a faith follower, and how has that changed throughout the years for you? You know, a lot, just like a lot of people, I think I had a relationship with sin in that it maybe was a little bit more of a nebulous concept of things you do that are wrong, um, that God is mad at you for. I, you know, my, my, my background, I was in um, what's now called the community of Christ. Church. It, it's a. It used to call. It used to be called a reorganized Church of Latter Day Saints, um, uh, which I'm sure people recognize as an out branch of Mormonism. And so it was a little bit different. Um, you know, sin was not really preached a whole lot when I was growing up. You know, and I grew up in the South, and in the South, people just know what sin is. <laughs> so it's like, uh, 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 so it's it's kind of that that environment. It was more of a social, like you're, you know, uh, you're 
your grandma knows when you're sinning kind of thing. <laughs> and so, mm. um, the, uh, so I guess it was just kind of this, I never, I don't know that I ever got taught that certain things were sin mm. ex- except by just my family and, you know, our social group was, you just knew that, you know, usually it was because you heard people talked about, <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, you know, the gossip. you know, yeah. they, uh, I, I heard about Billy Joe coming out of the bar the other night, you know, that, that mm. kind of thing. Um, so that that's kind of how I got to understand um, uh, uh, sin as as I was growing up. As I uh, come in, can, can I stop you for mm-hmm. a second? Yeah. Um, so how did it function? Do you think now? I, I have a very judgmental idea in my mind of how it's functioning for people yeah. as a way for them to feel good about themselves. Sure. Um, yeah. So, but but those are your people, and I I I won't I I shouldn't have said that. Maybe we'll cut it out of the audio. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. No, no. Uh, but how did it function for for them? Like, how would you say it functioned? them. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's really interesting. It really, I think it, because it's, it was a social thing, you know, it was, um, it was the thing that got talked about, but maybe it was something I was avoiding. So it was a way of making yourself feel good about who you are. So you had to, so it was almost, it's, I don't want to say like a a bully because I don't, I don't look at those people like bullies, but it's that same kind of mindset. You know, you have to pick on somebody else to make yourself feel good kind of thing. And so I definitely think that 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 was in the water you yeah. know I don't know that it was ever explicitly said that way um, but it was it was in the water it was like a unspoken social contract that you learned and never were handed the contract itself you just yep. were supposed to follow it and if you didn't follow it then you were gossiped about yes oh wow yeah right or, or, yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that's yeah, exactly yeah. it and you know I, I kind of make fun of this you know being southern or whatever you know we grew up in northern Florida uh, right by Alabama and so that was I make fun of that but the truth is it's kind of everywhere I mean you know we sin operates socially. Mm. Our concept of sin operates socially and the way we interact with it is a lot of times a way that we can justify our right standing. You know, I think I think I think even people who beat themselves up about their own sin, you know, you can take it two ways, you know. It can be um, you know, my self-righteousness, so I am not a sinner like mm-hmm. they are, like yeah. those people over there, this nebulous them, or I am a sinner and I embrace that and and you know do a lot of repenting you know that would be you know kind of some of the things I, I grew up with but that is 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 really two sides of the same coin it's a way to make yourself feel good about you know being in right standing when it may not actually be really grappling with some of the deeper concepts I think sometimes. yeah yeah um I I know I'm not supposed to talk a lot but um I will share a uh um what is it a word or a category or an idea around this but it's yeah. it, it, it's kind of been a purity culture sort of thing it's like what is pure what is not pure and human beings for you know much of our history we have had these sort of cleansing sort of rituals or rites um, whether in Christianity or in other religions as a way to sort of there's something about the human uh, behavior that we need something to remind us that we're okay or right or that the bad things that are happening in our life um, aren't because you know we've somehow failed in some sort of way or we can you know turn the ship around and and so you know you create this purity culture to say what is pure what is unpure and if i'm living within the pure that's that side of the rules and the construct then i'm okay hopefully 
right? right. Is that is that is that maybe a good way to? <laughs> yeah, no, that's. I think that's exactly it. And yeah, purity culture. I think that's 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 very apt. You know, I think a lot of times we think about purity culture as being this kind of you know this sexual purity. That's you know you want to make sure all your teenagers aren't screwing up. Yeah, and getting yeah, pregnant, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and so, but really, it it's a lot deeper than that. Like it is about what what is pure and unpure. And I think a lot about you know as you look back at you know isn't it kind of interesting like if you look back at the gospels like jesus was fighting purity culture in a lot of ways <laughs> <laughs> you know he was dealing with the same thing oh yeah he, he 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 touched lepers right like that's <laughs> right. the whole thing that we talk about he goes to the margins like they were unpure permanently <laughs> yeah <laughs> and right, he's exactly. like nope i'm gonna go hang out with them right and, and you know so in a lot of ways it's 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 the it's it's a similar type of situation and you know as i now a lot of that was kind of formational that was before i really you know i knew religion in my life like you know my family went to church every Sunday um, but that was really before I really started to formulate my own relationship uh, with God um, and as that happened as I got into kind of my later teen years and my early, you know my early 20s I got super uh, zealous mm. right for uh, faith and I thought that you know I I am going to figure out how to do it the way God wants me to do it right well, yeah yeah, yeah. Um, and so I kind of went down that direction and so you know I it gives it, you meaning and purpose. Yeah, right. It gives you meaning and purpose. And in some ways, like I, I kind of went to this extreme of just kind of feeling like everything I do is sin. I'm, I, you know, the, the, the Bible talks about like, you know, once you've transgressed the law, you've transgressed the entire, in one spot, you've transgressed yeah. the entire law, right? Um, and so I kind of felt that way. So I got involved in some, uh, uh, you know, very charismatic Pentecostal type movements mm. that we spent a lot of time asking for forgiveness. I mean, <laughs> like a lot of yeah. time. And we would, uh, uh, you know, have these prayer meetings where, you know, the the pastor would just beat you up and, you know, not physically beat you up. I mean, verbally assault you <laughs> with about how awful we are as a church and we need to beg for God's forgiveness. And that was a lot, you know, so I think that never really quite sat with me just right. Yeah. It never sat with, like, so the conception of sin and what I actually felt like I had an experience with God with were always in some ways at all. Mm. They were in conflict. Yeah. I felt like God accepted me. I felt like whatever God is or was, I, you know, I, I, I thought, you know, I guess I thought I understood what that is. As I get older, I, I, I realize I understand less, <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, but uh, what, what, whatever experience I had had with God up until that point was always, and so I had these people in my life that I trusted that told me I needed to repent, that mm. told me that I was bad, that yeah. told me that I was not accepted by God. And I needed to do these things to be accepted accepted. Um, and that never, man, that just never really jived. I, I just, so I spent years doing that years asking for forgiveness and all the whole time feeling like, man, God's not, you know, my real, in my relationship with God, I never really felt like that was something he was holding over my head. Like, yeah. like in, in function, it was not something that God was, you know, uh, and so I, you know, I use pronouns he, so forgive that if this, uh, you know, just kind of comes out, but, uh, other things I'm trying to yeah. you know, <laughs> work on a little bit. Um, but the uh, um, and so as I as I progressed, I really started thinking about sin in a little. And I tr as I've gotten, you know, I'm you know, I'm now in my forties and my knees hurt and everything. And <laughs> so, um, but I'm trying to think about you know what's helpful and what isn't helpful, and what are those things that jive with with the experience. Yeah. That you know, I remember me and you had a conversation because I was I had never been to a Methodist church. I never, yeah. I, you know, I'd been to Methodist churches, but I never really dug 
into like Wesleyan theology. One of the things that I really like a lot about the, um, you know, the Wesleyan quadrilateral, isn't that what you, yeah, what yeah. you, what you, what you call it, right? Yeah, yeah. You may have to you explain that nice. a little bit too. Yeah. <laughs> um, sorry. You're like, you're like answering all the ordination yeah. questions sorry. right now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> sorry, people who are about to get, and if it gets wonky and boring and No, I'll just let you be. That's, that's part of the journey. Um, but the, um, the idea that part of our, our understanding relationship with God comes from our lived experience is something that was that really resonated with me because I can't understand sin except for you know what I have experienced with other people and other and in, in, in my relationship with God and so I have to take that into consideration yeah you know um, and or because I think if you don't you, you have a lot of dissonance a lot yeah. of dissonance between what scriptures say between what you know other leaders and authority figures in your life tell you what sin is yeah and then what you experience with God as you do things that you're not proud of yeah right and then yeah. how, how are you accepted how are you continuing to be accepted and what I've always found is that I'm still accepted yeah I'm still accepted yeah and I find that over and over again in my life and I'm just you know so that that is helpful yeah. it's yeah. helpful for me to understand that I'm still accepted I can find a community that I am accepted in I can have a relationship with God where I am accepted and I think that that is more and more how I'm trying to think about sin experientially yeah right? yeah so uh there's a lot, uh, you know some some things that I was kind of thinking about some connections that I was making one is um sometimes we don't admit maybe um well as christians that a lot of what we know and understand is shaped by context experience and how we perceive and feel about it there's a yes. lot of people that will use the well this is biblical truth language and it's like well buddy that has changed even yes. in the last few hundred years uh like i not, you know not to bring up examples from the recording that you're going to hear in a bit but like people legitimately thought it was a sin to shower more than what once a month or something in the middle ages <laughs> like like yeah do we oh, understand man. that concepts have changed or like you know things like slavery and you know yes. other other things and, and 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 i think the other the other thing i was thinking about and this kind of lends itself to it and maybe what you're hitting on the head is it never really addressed the actual thing going on like it was always addressing the symptoms yes of what's going on but it never addresses the thing that's actually going on it's like it's like we're starting to learn you know and and i'm not a you know i have not learned very much in this realm of things just talking to my wife who's uh studying um to be a counselor like lpc uh she talks a lot about how in addiction counseling they're starting to realize that uh, a lot of times it's a lot more complex and it's not about putting them in prison because they're buying drugs like that is not the solution and hopefully right. society is riding the ship on that because we realize we've been addressing the symptoms the whole time instead of addressing the underlying issues that um, might actually stop you know the 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 harmful things that people are doing and, and right. be able to help them and so that's the same thing with sin it's like and and then and then just a little side tangent here and then you have the hypocritical people who will be the ones saying this is what you do and don't do and then behind closed doors you realize oh they're doing yeah, all doing of it. those things <laughs> those jokers doing it and and even day. and even like <laughs> that was you know slightly you know brings a laugh but like at a deeper even more painful level you you know you watch what's happening not to bash the the sbc mm -hmm. and all these allegations that are coming about 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 abuse
abuse and it's sad even at, at like a deeper yeah. level it's sad you're like these are the people that have said for a long time here's what's pure here's what's unpure and have almost created shame for so many because they're not living within that sense of purity yeah and then behind closed doors they're not even living it out themselves yeah and i think that's that that comes down to the danger of the commodification of redemption yeah you know? oh wow that's good and so it is it's used. we're gonna copyright that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um you know you you uh it's important that people have a sense that they are sinning so that you have something to be redeemed from, mm. you know, instead of, and a, a little bit about, again, not to foreshadow too much on this grace issue. If grace is much, much, much more radical of a concept, if fear is taken out of it, yeah, you know, if, if I don't have to be afraid that grace won't come to me, mm. it's not, it's, you know, it's a little bit cheaper, I think, yeah. because now I can, and also it gives me as an authority figure, it gives me opportunity to tell people what they need to do to obtain grace. Yeah. Right. And so I found it helpful to also look at the things that I'm trying to avoid in my life look a lot more like it, it, the things I'm trying to avoid look less like things I do yeah. than attitudes I have. Yeah. So I look at sin now, things that are a little bit more helpful to me is is this I this kind of idea between uh, fear and love. Mm. You know, like the the John, the uh the what Joe and I the uh, epistles yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the theological <laughs> um the uh, uh which i know that's probably wrong and i'm gonna get you no you're all right it's no a, you're, uh, <laughs> you're good <laughs> the uh but he talks a lot about this that dichotomy between fear and love yeah and you know then you know uh the paul mm -hmm. um, you know faith hope and love and um love being this kind of ultimate thing. If I can rid, if, if I'm operating in my relationship with spirituality from a place of fear, I have found that to be relatively unhelpful. Yeah. And I would probably define that to be the things that I'm trying to avoid now. I'm less trying to avoid individual acts that God has just deemed by fiat that they're wrong for some reason. Drinking. Yeah. You know, yeah, 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 don't, yeah. Don't get drunk. Yeah. You are a sinner. Yeah. 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 <laughs> These things that make you sinners. So I'm not trying to, that purity, you know, checklist. Yeah. I'm not really trying to, I'm, that doesn't really, it's not something that comes into my thought process a whole lot. So I am trying to find where, where do I lean towards love? Where can I focus more on that? And where can I focus less on being afraid that God doesn't love me? Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think that, that it, that's more helpful whenever you start thinking about, you know, bigger societal issues, you know, um, homophobia, racism, these types of things that we are, you know, mass violence, things that we're dealing with and trying to grapple with as a culture, I think it's more helpful that fear and love dichotomy is more helpful as I'm making decisions about how I personally live my life in response to these things. How can I lean into love and where am I leaning on fear? Who am I afraid of? Why am I afraid of? And so in some ways from that lens, I look at sin as more of a thing that we do where we as a society are fearful of others and where as a society are we loving and embracing of others, those are places where I see sin as a more helpful lens to say, as a, as, as a group, how can we together make systems and structures that are more loving and less fearful, uh, rather than just me individually doing this checklist, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's one thing, uh, just uh, to be upfront, uh, Joseph and I had had a wonderful uh, text conversation after uh, uh, 
Brew Church on Sunday, and um, that was one of the impetuses for this uh, conversation with him. And uh, I, I remember you talking about that, how for you it's changed to have it more as this communal rather than this individual uh, purity culture thing. And I, I think that's beautiful. Uh, a little a little side note um, with the grace thing, because you said that a while ago, uh, and I just had a, a thought about it. Grace is something that no institution um, can give out, but it's something that just comes because the God of the universe or whatever concept we have of God just mm. gives it constantly. Yeah. Then you can't commodify it. Yes. <laughs> and then, yes. and then the church starts to worry because it's like, well, what's our place then? <laughs> like, right. If we if we aren't the ones who are saying here are the rules for being wrong, and then we have the solution. Here here's the illness, and we have the symptoms to your illness. Here, I mean, think about marketing. Here is the product. Here's your lack because you do not have the product. So we offer the product that will fill that lack. If the church says we're not going to play by those rules anymore because we're going to tell people that you actually don't have the lack and actually you don't need us fill that at, that lack at all, the church is like, well, then are we going to cease existing? <laughs> like there's that fear that you're talking about. So that's a total tangent. <laughs> but, I th- but. but I think that as you see throughout, if you kind of look at the I say the Jewish part of scripture. Those are the things they're talking about. <laughs> they're talking about how have you worried about this list of rules? And, and I know that that gets very simple, but it's really profound. And I know we say it a lot. And I think that we lose this whole like legalism versus grace. It kind of gets, you know, muddy. But as you look back at it, the things that they were fighting against were, and you know, all these prophetic voices through the Old Testament and then Jesus and John, John the Baptist, I'm talking about, um, are coming and saying, look, you're worried about all these little stupid stuff. And what you actually need to be doing is figuring out how do we relate in kingdom living here by doing the radical crazy stuff that Jesus was talking Ensuring that uh, the poor are taken care of. Ensuring that barriers to people accessing um, community are torn down. I'm, I guess I'm much more prone to look at scriptures from that light now, and that seems a lot more helpful in my relationship relationship uh, Christianity now than it than it probably did in my past. Um, it's certainly a lot more. It, it's certainly a lot lighter burden to carry. Yeah, yeah. It's a heavier burden to carry. <laughs> oh, but it's a lighter. You know, it's it's a, it's a, it's a, heavier, it's a heavier societal societal burden. burden. Yes. Um, and so what I noticed too, what can happen is when we become so focused on the individual purity, pure and unpure sort of culture side of it, is then we excuse ourselves from doing those bigger things yes we 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 sit here and worry about and this might get controversial but we're gonna do it katia talked about this a couple weeks ago um if you want to listen to the podcast it's up uh it's called angry black woman you'll be able to find it outside of all the other (laughs) ones but we sit here and worry about what women are doing with their bodies rather than asking the bigger questions like why would anyone ever want to make that difficult choice of do i have this child or do I not? Maybe because we live in a society that doesn't take care of single mothers well, that doesn't take care of its marginalized poor people well, but we want to sit here and focus on this these laws because they are doing them 
rather than addressing the bigger picture of like, no, how do we create a society where every pregnant mother says, because the left doesn't want more abortions. Nobody wants more abortions, but how do we as a society create a world where every mother would say, I know that this child and I will be taken care of because the way it's set up isn't to benefit the few with wealth and to make me struggle for the rest of my life to figure out I'm going to have food and a car and a home. Right. Because we've set up society in such a way that takes care of everyone. It's like focus so much on these individual sins and we never tackle the bigger questions to create the key, you know, sort of the kingdom language you're using, the better world that we could make yes. if we wanted to. Right. And, I, you know, that better world piece, that's really cool. Because if you go, if you go back to all the places where Jesus talks about, like, the kingdom of heaven, I think one thing that we have to kind of get is that he was also talking to people who kind of understood what he was saying. And we probably don't really understand what he's saying. You know, these kingdom type of references and kingdom of God type of references that if you go back and you replace all the times that Jesus said the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God and you talk and you just replace that with making a better world, like that might be a little more helpful for us to kind of get. Yeah. Like, wouldn't it be a better world that you want to live in if we bring that, if yeah. we do these other things? <laughs> yeah, I mean? no, for real. Like, yeah, that's that's amazing. I, well, uh, that was a wonderful conversation. Yes. I hope you had fun. I did. Yeah, yeah, this is great. Yeah, yeah, this is this is good. And I, I just know that me and you are going to have these conversations <laughs> a lot, right? So. Yeah, yeah, it's it's awesome. Uh, listeners, hopefully you enjoyed that conversation. Uh, this is now going to transition over to our recording Do from Sunday. Hope you have any a of you have rest of your day. However, you're are listening to this embedded and enjoy. in your brain, like movies that you're like. This movie is just part of my psyche and my consciousness. Uh, there's a couple movies that were really meaningful growing up as a child, and I'm going to share a couple of them. A couple years ago, uh, I convinced Krista to watch one of them. It was called Halloween Town. You guys remember Halloween Town? <laughs> Anybody know what that is? It's a Disney Channel original movie. It absolutely sucks. <laughs> it's not a good movie. But... In my mind, I had this nostalgia for Halloween Town. And so we were sitting there on Halloween, and we're like, hey, we should watch a Halloween movie, but Krista's not into the scary ones. So I was like, hey, let's buy for $8 on Amazon Halloween Town because I'm totally going to watch it again. And then that childhood nostalgia was just absolutely crushed. <laughs> like, I was just devastated. We're never going to watch it again. It's sitting in our Amazon library, and we don't need it. That's not the Disney Channel movie I wanted to tell you about, but I wanted to warn you <laughs> to never watch that movie because it just isn't good. There was another movie that sticks in my brain. This one probably more than... Uh, than Halloween Town, and this one was actually good. Like, it won awards, so it's a movie that you know, like, isn't just this Disney Channel movie that, you know, is uh, not that great, but they just play it over and over because people like it. Uh, it was called Selma, Lord Selma. You guys ever heard of that movie? Maybe watch this movie. Okay, so this movie was an interpretation of the book based on the events now called Bloody Sunday where the Dallas County Sheriff's Department recruited a bunch of people, along with many others, um, and they attacked a group of 525 to 600 protesters who were fighting for voting rights and protesting after the death of a beloved leader. 17 marchers were hospitalized, 50 were treated for injuries, 
The troops use horses, fire hoses, and tear gas to disrupt the march, and it was all televised. This is one of the things that was so powerful about this moment is it was one of the first times that people saw what was happening on these marches in their own home. And I remember watching this movie as a seven-year-old in tears, devastated. Because what they were doing was they were editing in real-life footage of kids getting hosed down with fire hoses. This is not playing in the water. This is high-pressure fire hoses and kids getting hosed down. And outside of my own personal experiences, this is one of the first times when I remember feeling the sorrow of just how ugly the world can be. All of us can admit that even though there's so much good, so much beauty, so much joy in the world, there's also sorrow. There's ugliness. There's evil in the world. Things that we can clearly label as wrong. Things that we might observe and say, that's not how things should be. Things that people do to each other on purpose, premeditated, that are flat out evil and wrong. In the Christian tradition, we have a word that tries to capture this idea, that things aren't as they should be. We use the word sin. Now, the moment I say that word, you might have some mixed reactions because it's a word that's been used to cause a lot of harm, maybe even shame, to exclude or label people. You also might be wondering, Fabian, really, on Father's Day? <laughs> We're doing a giveaway and the prayer. <laughs> so we're celebrating fathers. <laughs> but this is also Juneteenth. And so that's something that's important to talk about too. There was a period in my life when I wanted nothing to do with that word. Mind you, this was when I was in seminary. And I was really wrestling with, man, I just know how that language has been so harmful for people. But then I incorporated the word again because there wasn't a word in the English language that held enough weight to label what happened to George Floyd or what happened in the Pulse nightclub, what happened in Uvalde, the kinds of things that countries do like bombing innocent people, things like slavery, racism, sexism, a word that captured the communal things, the things we participate in communally that we may not even recognize we're a part of, and the things that individuals do to deeply harm each other. This word has a long history, and tonight we're going to spend some time with it. <laughs> not because we need to be convinced that it's a reality. We all watch the footage of Russia bombing Ukraine. We know it's a reality. We felt the sorrow of 19 children and two teachers not getting to go back home. We know that things aren't as they are. But the question for us tonight, we're going to sort of analyze this word to ask, can we reframe the word sin, not as a way to harm or exclude, but as a way to name and identify the things that need to change? Now, it's important to admit that what has been defined as sin has changed throughout history. For example, not too long ago, 
people would have said that interracial marriage was wrong and sinful. And they would quote Deuteronomy 7. If you don't believe me, look it up. They would quote Deuteronomy 7 and say that interracial marriage is not right according to God. And I hope all of us in the room don't unanimously don't agree with that anymore because Krista and I are in, are in interracial marriage. And so, and so uh, yeah, I hope not. But the definition of sin isn't straightforward. It's not easy to list because the list has changed throughout history. And there have been various metaphors to try to describe or articulate it. So maybe the list isn't the most helpful way to talk about it. We'll get back to that idea. We're going to do a brief history of this word that has led to how most people define it today. And so I'm going to go to this wonderful piece of paper. Hopefully this reaches. So I'm going to go teacher mode here. So I hope you, I hope you're, uh, but this, I, I just, I think it's so fascinating how we've gotten here. So uh, if you read the Hebrew Bible, we call it the Hebrew Bible because it, uh, sometimes it gets called the Old Testament and that's like, oh, it's old. It's not valuable anymore. No, it's the Hebrew Bible. There's a group of people that still use that Bible and that is their main text for understanding meaning. And so uh, in the Hebrew Bible, most of the metaphors used to talk about the word sin have to do, they have to do with this idea that it was a burden, a burden that needed to be removed. So if you think about the whole sacrifice system, it was a way for, I did something that was burdens, that is now burdensome to me or burdensome to somebody else, and this is a way for me to actively do something active to feel like that burden is lifted off my shoulders. So we have burden, and then we get to the New Testament, and most of the language in the New Testament that is used to talk about that word is as a debt. If you read a lot of what Jesus says, the word debt is used um, in the New Testament. And so uh, there was a lot of ideas about debt that people had um, back then. Uh, You know, like, for example, some people would get out of debt by selling themselves into slavery. We obviously don't have those ideas of debt anymore. But something to note that's really important is with a debt, doesn't come guilt, right? Like if we have debt today, we don't go, oh, you're guilty of having debt. You just owe something to somebody else. All right, we're going to bundle these two things together. There was a guy named Plato. If you don't know much about Plato, he had a philosophical idea, and we just have to be honest about it. His philosophy influenced a lot of religious traditions. His philosophical idea was that there's a spiritual realm of things and a physical realm of things. The spiritual is perfect and powerful in ways that humans aren't powerful, and the physical is not. All right. This might get kind of controversial, but we're, we're going we're gonna to go this way. The next guy is this guy named Aquinas. He came up with the idea that there's a natural law, meaning that within us there's these ethics that we were all born with, meaning there is good within us that's able to recognize what is not good and what is good. So it's naturally built into us. It's a little different than Plato and Gnosticism. You'll see why those come, come into play. I think I'm going to not do the flowchart thing because I don't have enough room. But then there's this guy, Augustine. And he came up with this 
language that had not existed before. The idea that not only is there sin, something wrong, something that is, you know, hurtful to humanity, but that you're born with it. And he was interpreting a scripture that we're going to read here in a second. So there's Augustine. And we're going to take a few detours. We have Martin Luther. He began to incorporate courtroom language, so guilt, punishment. That was incorporated with that guy. Then we have JC. We're just going to call him JC, not Jesus Christ, but John Calvin. And he came up with the idea of not just original sin, but original guilt. That not only are humans born hereditary into sin, but humans are guilty before they even do anything. The moment they're born, they're guilty. That was with that guy. This is a little branch off, but we're going to do JW. John Wesley, we're going to put perfection here. He had this idea that uh, we have a distorted image of God, meaning there is good within us, but it's not oriented the right way, and so it needs to be restored, and we can achieve what he called in our lifetime perfection, meaning we can restore back to that. We'll come to that at the very end of this whole thing. The last one is, sorry if this is a bad word for some of you all, says purity culture. This is a modern-day movement that came up with a very clear idea of what was good and what was not good based a lot on his philosophy and Gnosticism, which took Plato and said not only is the spiritual world perfect, but the physical world is completely evil. So anything about the body is gross and wrong. I leave that there. And now I leave you with a question so you can dialogue with the people around you. How was sin talked about in your own experience, and how do you think about it now? And one of the things I love is, I know this one's like a, okay, uh, you know, wherever you are coming from, you're like, okay, this word makes me highly uncomfortable, or, uh, you know, like, this is a really hard thing. The beauty about this place is this is a safe space to dialogue, and we all come from different places, and uh, one of the things that I really believe is that there's uh, these really beautiful things to unearth sometimes uh, in the faith tradition that is Christianity that have all these layers. And so sometimes it's helpful just to go through the layers to just kind of see and maybe talk about that. And so to say that sin has one biblical explanation is to completely ignore how it's changed throughout history. It's way more complex and nuanced than that. For example, in uh, the Hebrew Bible, there was this idea of cleanliness and non-cleanliness. And uh, as we know, when we read, you know, Jesus' story, uh, there were people that took that a little too far, and they would say things like, well, the shepherds work with animals, and so they can never be clean. And so actually, they're in a permanent state of sin, and they can't do anything about it because they work with animals. And then Jesus shows up, and the first people he sees... (laughs) As well, that are invited to see him are shepherds. So Jesus flips that script. This one's just comical to me. In the Middle Ages, showering too often was considered a sin because it meant getting naked. The people who taught us to shower w- more often or once a day 
uh, for those of us who are of European descent, were Native Americans. You might think of it the opposite. Oh, the Europeans with their sophistication. Ha no, they didn't shower at all. <laughs> they, they stunk. They used perfume <laughs> to, to try to cover it up, but it probably didn't work for a lot of them. There were scriptures that people used to justify slavery. And we would all universally consider it a grave sin. So it can go in reverse. Considering all of that, just some things that have changed, it seems like sometimes sin is used as a way to determine what some think is right or wrong, and not just ethically wrong, but to then layer on top of that, God says that is wrong. And that can give some sense of comfort to people that at least they're not doing what they're doing. And this whole framework we have around sin has been built over time, interpretations of translations of translations, and particularly the two most influential people on there uh, that we might say to modern understandings or the loudest voice when it comes to this understanding are Augustine and J.C. And their interpretation comes from a reading of Romans 5, which says this, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death came through sin, and so death spread to all because all have sinned, for sin was indeed in the world before the law, but sin is not reckoned when there is no law. Yet death reigned for Adam to Moses, even over those who did not sin in the likeness of Adam, who is the pattern of the one who was to come. Augustine's interpretation, combined with Calvin's, was that because of Adam's actions, sin, which did not exist before, came into existence. And on top of that, Calvin, humanity is guilty even before they take any actions or make any choices. And the consequences are hell, meaning every human being is destined to go there before we can even make a decision because of Adam. But that isn't the only way to interpret the scripture. It's not the only way that various traditions have interpreted it. First off, Many translations have re-examined this passage, and it read a different way than what I just read it, but it used to read that it's because of Adam that sin came into the world. Now, they've reinterpreted it, and it says, like it did in the one I read, so death spread to all because all have sinned. So it changed it a little bit. They realize, okay, maybe there was a Latin translation that might have been taken one way, and then August Augustine ran with it. On top of that, for many in the Christian tradition, the whole afterlife thing is a mystery. And the word death here is not as much in reference to what happens after we die, but the very real experience of not being fully alive today. And lastly, for many, the story of Adam and Eve is more akin to what Jung would call an archetype a story that represents a universal human experience that we all have, that moment in our consciousness when we first recognize the realities of good and evil. And that's people in the Christian tradition and the Jewish tradition who might interpret it that way. And lastly, there was a word I was supposed to write up there that I didn't. There's a tradition that just said, Augustine, 
yeah, we don't really agree with you. The Eastern Orthodox tradition. They've been around for a very long time. They have Orthodox in their name. So to say they're not Orthodox doesn't really make sense. They didn't accept Augustine's doctrine of original sin and thus everything that came with it and their way of interpreting sin, which I find beautiful and interesting, and we're going to end with sort of this idea and kind of take it forward. Their idea of sin is that it's this cycle of wounding and woundedness. So if we were to take all those ideas together, the passage could be read like this. Death came through sin. This debilitating suffering that puts an undue burden on people spreads because all participate in it. If we were to believe that God is less concerned with some list of do's and don'ts and more concerned with the well-being and flourishing of every person, then it completely shifts how we might understand this whole sin thing. Slavery is never decried as sinful in the Bible. Actually, it's okayed. It's given a green light, even into the New Testament. And yet, we would all universally say it's a grave sin because we understand the harm it's caused. It's had massive implications for people to this day. It put an undue burden, Hebrew Bible, burden on people. We can statistically identify how it's had generational financial impacts. The debt language is pretty spot on when you think about that. It's a debt that has accrued interest over time. It's a generational trauma that's passed from one generation to the next. Psychology will tell us that trauma is passed generationally. So maybe Augustine wasn't too far off with the whole hereditary thing. And yet it's never clearly listed as a sin in the Bible. I want to go back to the law thing. It says... For sin was indeed in the world before the law, but sin is not reckoned when there is no law. What is the law? The law is this way that helps us identify what is right or wrong, and yet laws have changed. We are allowed to shower more than once a month now. <laughs> it's not written into law that you cannot shower more than once a month. It's a way to identify, but the law didn't create sin. Sin is this thing that has existed before that. It's like saying... A good movie is only good if it's an hour and a half. Now, that may be a good time frame and a good rule of thumb because an hour and a half is long enough to allow a plot to develop, but not too long where you're adding all these extra things in to keep people in the movie theater longer. Now, we all know of great movie directors that if they're given three hours, you are entertained and sucked into the movie the entire time. But it's not because of the rule, a movie is good if it's an hour and a half long. It's because the underlying thing, how good is the director at creating a plot and a narrative? What if there's this underlying thing that we don't always need the rules to tell us that has been going on? Augustine's, Augustine's interpretation and Calvin's came from the fact that they read Adam's actions as causing sin where it didn't exist before. And if we were to believe, like I said, that God wants us to flourish, then maybe 
we can think about it differently. We can think about it as participation in the cycle of wounding and woundedness. If we think about it that way, we might begin to care less about what others are doing and more about who is being harmed. We might realize that sin is so much bigger that we can't even wrap our minds around it because the harm is so much more complex and can't be captured by one book or by one group of people or monopolized by one religious tradition. Maybe sin is something that an entity like a country that bombs innocent people can participate in. Maybe sin is something that has centuries-long ramifications like slavery. Maybe sin is really difficult to fix. And if that's the case, it gives more weight to these ideas in the Christian tradition that we can't solve it on our own. Way too big. I can stop cussing with my own ability. Just takes changing my language a little bit. But we can't solve the depth of the wounds that humanity causes to each other. It's too big to solve. It also changes this idea or gives this idea a little bit more weight that Jesus took on sin because Jesus suffered the violence of an empire, the violence of humanity. So then what does that leave us with? After those verses, Paul writes this, but the free gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died through the one man's trespass, much more surely have the grace of God and the gift and the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. There is this idea of abundant grace through the one who entered the wounding world alongside of us. That even though we might have scars and wounds, even though we might say hurtful things, do harmful things, participate in the wounding, wounding those we love and people we don't even know, every moment provides us a new opportunity. Grace says tomorrow does not have to be what yesterday was. You, we, don't have to be who we were yesterday. Every new moment is a gift, a new gift given by the giver and we have the opportunity to participate in the good once again, in the healing rather than the wounding. It makes the sin-grace formula much bigger than a way to get in. It makes it this beautiful way to articulate the messiness and the goodness of life and how it's so complex and nuanced. Where we both contribute to the harm and sometimes we contribute to the good. It gives us new language to see how each new moment is a gift that we can choose to do better in. It allows us to have hope that maybe this whole thing isn't going down the toilet, but rather that there's something good, something beautiful at work. Grace, love, new life. You may not choose, after all of this, to incorporate the language of sin into your vernacular, and it makes sense because we can see how it's been used. But maybe we can also see that regardless of what we call it, brokenness, woundedness, evil, that grace is also true. In his only recorded sermon, I told you we get to the perfection thing, Jesus says this on the Sermon on the Mount. Be perfect as God is perfect. That's daunting. We can't be perfect. 
we know we're going to participate in this cycle of wounding, and the world will wound us, and we will wound out of our wounds. But the word perfect, teleos, isn't about not making mistakes. It's not about how we use the word perfect in the English language. It's about being whole. Be whole. It's kind of like a fishing net. You use it for a long time. It has some holes in it, so fish get through. So you don't really catch anything anymore because they're like the fish in Finding Nemo. They like destroyed your net, and so you can't really <laughs> capture fish. There's just holes, and they keep going out of the holes. And so then maybe you take some other fishing net. It's a different fishing net, different brand. You cut the pieces off. You tie it together. It doesn't look like it looked like when it was brand new, but it's restored to proper function once again. And in the Christian tradition, what we talk about as what we were made to be and to do is love. So when we're restored to perfection or to wholeness, it's when we're in a place when we allow ourselves to be fully loved by the one who created us and by those around us. It's vulnerable. Letting yourself be loved by someone, it means you have to let down some of those barriers. But it's also so healing. And then living out of that fully loved place, we can fully love those around us. The woundedness keeps us from that. And yet Jesus says, be whole. Grace reminds us that we can't do it alone. We can't solve it. And that when we do make mistakes, we have a chance to do it again, to keep moving towards this wholeness. Grace reminds us that even if sin is a reality, whatever we're going to call it, goodness is still more true and ultimately wins told you we'd come around to it, but today is Juneteenth, a day where we set aside to commemorate slaves being set free, a day worth celebrating, a day where we can be proud of humanity, or at least the United States, because it took us a little bit longer than other people to figure the whole thing out, but we changed our tune, and yet we know the work isn't done when it comes to racism. We know that just like many other things, people continue, and we continue, to contribute to the cycles of woundedness, but we can see how grace brings new life and heals the burden. So may love compel us to perfection. Thank you for listening to this episode. Peace and blessings, everyone. <laughs>